Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. It's easy for me to forget some of the things that I've mentioned in previous episodes. I think it's somewhere along about eight hours of stuff that I've recorded so far. So if I repeat myself once in a while, just forgive me a little bit. But I have received some comments from listeners asking me to cover certain topics or suggesting a topic or please finish that story you started, that kind of thing. So I had, had an email from a guy. And I said in a previous episode, the, the episode called um, Field Guide to Jams, uh, Field Guide to Bluegrass Jammers. In that episode, I talked about the egomaniac, and I briefly mentioned an, an experience that I had with three egomaniacal banjo players in the same room at the same time. And the guy wrote me and said, hey, could you tell that story? So I'm going to tell that. I'm also going to come around to some other stuff and... Uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of things in this episode, but that's the first thing. So let me tell you about this. I was in a band called Cedar Hill, the Atlanta Cedar Hill, and I'm not going to go into the, uh, the, the, the story I briefly touched on about the two different Cedar Hills. And I, I will just say this. It's, it's sometimes confusing when there are two bands with the same name. Well, I'll come back to that another day, but I was in the band Cedar Hill from Atlanta and our banjo player, Jim Duck Adkins, he grew up in Lincolnton, Georgia, which is over on the uh, Savannah River, or pretty close to the Savannah River, over there around Augusta. Anyway, Lincolnton, Georgia. Well, he came up, and in the same town was Little Roy Lewis. And if you don't know who the Lewis family is, you should find out. The Lewis family has been around a long, long time. I don't think they're playing anymore. It's now the Little Roy and Lizzie show. Little Roy Lewis is still around, but back in the day, in the 1960s, from the early 60s, throughout the 70s, the 80s, and up into the 90s, there was a band called the Lewis family. And the Lewis family was a real family. They were from Lincolnton, Georgia, and it was... Pop and Miggy and Polly and Little Roy and, and so on, the family had a band. And they were sort of bluegrass gospel. They traveled sort of in both worlds of the gospel music scene and the bluegrass scene. They, they crossed that line. And when I was coming up in bluegrass in the 1970s, if you went to a major bluegrass festival in the 1970s, very often... There would be the Lewis family. And maybe they were the token bluegrass gospel band. I don't know. But they'd get up there and sing these old-time gospel-type tunes. And at a, you know, bass and a guitar and a banjo. The banjo player was Little Roy Lewis. And he was a pistol. I'm talking about a firecracker. He, he's, he's not real tall. And he is... 110 megatons of energy at all times. I could go on for days talking about, you know, my observations of Little Roy Lewis. And I love that guy because 
to me, a good performer gets on stage and puts out 100%. Little Roy, he does that, but it's not 100%. He's just slightly like 50,000 times that. He's like crazy over the top at all times. And it's a little hard to take uh, at first. Some people are kind of, <laughs> they're knocked back by it and they're like, whoa, <laughs> what am I witnessing here? But he is all out 100 and 100 to the 10th power. I, I don't know. He's just insanely, he gives everything and more. He's an amazing cat. But when you hear him play the banjo, he does the same thing on the banjo. He doesn't play the banjo. He didn't pick the banjo. He tears that thing up. He he wears it out. He There are very few players that can play as fast and as loud and as clean as little Roy Lewis. Well, anyway, our banjo player, the guy that I played with for 27 years, Jim Duck Adkins, he grew up in the same town, so his first banjo influence was little Roy Lewis. And so he plays a lot like that. Duck gives 110% at all times. And so anyway, because they grew up in the same town, we're passing through one time Cedar Hills, I don't know, going to a festival or something, and we're heading through Lincoln. Let's let's pull over and stop at Little Roy's house and see if he, Little Roy's home. So we pull up the driveway a couple miles outside of Lincoln, pull up in the driveway, me and Bob and Fred and Jimmy. We pull up, there's little Roy's bus in the driveway behind the house. We get out of the car, and there's little Roy. Little Roy is wearing a white shirt and nice slacks. Looks like he's dressed up to, you know, go to church. He doesn't have, doesn't have a tie on, but he's, I mean, he's dressed nice, and he's on a creeper underneath the back end of that bus, probably changing the oil or something. And so it gives you a side of the uh, the bluegrass world that you don't see. I mean, you know, those big tour buses, somebody's got to keep those jokers running. And in this case, little Roy was the guy. So he, he comes sliding out from underneath that thing, gets up and is talking to us and shaking all our hands. And y'all come on in the house and you know, get, your, get your instruments. Let's, let's pick a couple. So we go to little Roy's porch. His back porch is a screened in porch. Actually, it's not screened in. It's more glassed in it had they installed glass windows i guess so they could sit out there in the winter time so anyway we hanging around on little roy's back porch and him little roy and jimmy start playing banjo tunes one after another one after another and they both got these powerful banjos and just i mean they wear it out and they're sort of competing a little bit it's that egomaniac it's the good e egomaniac that i've talked about in in the uh, uh field guide to jam field guide to bluegrass jammers episode anyway so me and bob and fred we're just playing along chunking rhythm and stuff and i'm taking a few mandolin breaks but it's getting faster and faster and louder and louder they're playing foggy mountain breakdown bells of saint mary uh dear old dixie i mean it's just ramping up it's getting I mean, this is a banjo-rama, and each one is trying to outdo the other. There's a little bit of that competitive spirit among <laughs> banjo players, I think. Anyway, it's a fun, we're having a good time, but it's getting to where I'm just begging off the brakes. I'm just, you know, trying to just chop, 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 and hang in there. Anyway, 
they kind of calm down for a little bit and uh they're talking about their banjos and showing each other the banjos and trading back and forth and stuff and i see this figure appear at the back at the door he's a he's kind of a big guy and he's got this leather jacket with fringe hanging down you know, like a buckskin jacket and a big black hat and uh sure as the world he walks in the 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 screen porch or the glassed in porch and i swear to god it's raymond fairchild mega banjo player i mean this guy is cut from the same cloth as little roy he don't pick nothing but hard and fast <laughs> amazing banjo player you got to check out Raymond Fairchild's stuff. Just if you want to be like pounded over the head with a nine pound hammer, this is the kind of banjo playing. It's good, but you know, it's, it can only be taken in small doses or it might kill you if you actually listen to it for too long. This is powerful TNT banjo playing. So he walks in, he sits down and gets his banjo out and pretty soon it's three of them going. They have forgotten completely that there's a mandolin player in the room. And and I'm just like shrinking. And uh, after a while, I just put my mandolin away. I was like, forget this. Bob and Fred with their bass and guitar, they hung in. And they kept duking it out on banjos for about an hour. It was the most insanely loud thing I've ever experienced. The glass windows in that room were vibrating. I don't think they noticed it. But it was just like... The loudest thing I've ever experienced, except for one time. One time I was coming home from a gig in Atlanta late at night, and I'm passing through Little Five Points, this little area down in the southeast side of Atlanta. I'm passing through, and I stop to get me something to eat, and I I hear this band playing or some music or something. I'm like, well, I'll go in this joint. I, I need to broaden my horizons a little bit. And on the poster, chalked on the board, Tonight only, man or astro man. And I'm like, well, I'll go in here for a little bit and check this out. So I go in this place. I think it was called The Point. Down there, Little Five Points. I go in, and I'm standing around, you know. And there was a band from Augusta, Georgia. I don't remember their name. That was playing you know, kind of mellow, kind of blues stuff and whatever. And I'm standing around. And I decided to go to the bar and get myself a pitcher of beer. So I, I get this pitcher, and I got a mug in one hand, a pitcher in the other. And I work my way down towards the front of the stage because I want to see this band, Man or Astro Man. And I'm standing there, pitcher in one hand, empty mug in the other hand. And out comes the band. And the band... There's like five guys. Four of them are wearing these orange jumpsuits, like one-piece zip-up-the-front NASA jumpsuits. And they had these patches sewn upon their left chest that said NASA. It was like a NASA logo. These guys were like NASA jumpsuit-wearing dudes. And then the, like the lead guitarist, he comes out after them, and he is dressed as the Fat Elvis. He's got the cape. He's got the slick back hair. He looks like like Fat Elvis. And I'm just looking at this thing. Coming from a bluegrass con context, I'm looking at these guys going, wow, this is a trip. <laughs> I'm just standing there. Still got the pitcher in my hand. I, I pour myself about a half a mug of beer out of this kind of small pitcher. And they start. And when they start, 
they jumped up and down. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen punk bands play, but these guys jumped vertically up, down, up, down with the beat of the music. Four of them jumping, 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 playing, jumping, playing. The bass player, the guitar player, eh. and the drummer just beating a snot out of the thing. And Elvis, he did not jump because he was the fat Elvis after all. And he just, he stood there and he took solos and stuff. <laughs> so I'm standing here. And when they started, this was so loud. I, I've never experienced anything as loud as this. I suppose if you saw the space shuttle launch and you were standing like 100 yards from the launch pad, you might hear the same volume. I've never heard anything this loud. And I'm just, I'm awestruck. My chest feels like it's caving in. My my bluegrass sensibilities are being overloaded completely. And I'm watching these guys jumping up and down. And, you know, Fat Elvis over there and stuff. And I I glance down at my, the pitcher of beers, like a half pitcher, in my right hand. I'm right in front of the speakers. And it's just foaming like a volcano. The, the beer is just like coming up over the rim and cascading down the sides and it's just emptying itself. I haven't even poured myself a beer yet. And, and this pitcher is just self emptying from this sonic blast it's getting. And I stood there and just watched this. It's like some sort of physics experiment. And when they finished the song, there was about a half an inch of beer left in the bottom and a bunch of foam. And I poured it into my mug. It was flat. And I, I drank, it had about a half a beer. And I, I drank it and I decided, well, this stuff is not exactly for me. I think I'll get out of here. So after about one or two songs, I split and went on home. Anyway, that's the kind of volume I was experiencing with Jim Duck Adkins, Little Roy Lewis, and Raymond Fairchild, all full tilt on Little Roy's back porch. It was insane. Absolutely insane. I'm glad I experienced it, but there is no way in the world I would have played a mandolin break. And uh, one, of, one of Little Roy's family members, I don't remember who it was now, came in there and was brave enough to pick up the mandolin and actually play a little bit with him. I just watched. It was crazy. So that's that story. Jamming on Little Roy's back porch. I drew a little cartoon one time um, <laughs> kind of with this idea in mind. And there is one mandolin player that I'm absolutely convinced could just tough it out and stay in there with a jam of that mega tonnage. And that would be John Duffy. And I drew a little cartoon one time and I will scan that and post it on the show notes page for this episode. So go, go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode, click that, and I'll put that cartoon up there. <laughs> anyway, that's the story. So I want to make sure I tied up those knots. I also, in this episode, very quickly want to thank all of you people who have rated and reviewed the show over on iTunes, getting a lot of those five stars. And I sure do like the five star ratings. And you're not only doing me a favor, by clicking five stars and possibly writing a little review, but you're doing the whole world a favor because we want to sp spread bluegrass to the masses. Maybe not too big. Um, but when you do that, you're moving the show up in those iTunes search rankings. So if somebody goes on there and searches for bluegrass, you know, it'll be a little closer to the top and maybe they'll find it. Maybe they'll get into bluegrass and that'll be good for everybody. 
so anyway, thanks for all those five stars. It, it's uh, fun every time I go over there and see a new five-star rating. And I also want to thank the people who have, you know, listened to the show and then also occasionally hopped over to my website to see what all I've got over there. And, you know, thank you to everybody who has picked up some of my instructional materials. And I will say this, if you want to support the show in some way, but you don't really want any of the ebooks or, you know, banjo videos or mandolin video lessons, if you don't want that stuff, you can still support the show. It's a very simple thing. You just, you know, buy the, buy the thing and I'll get the eight bucks or whatever. And then I got to pay the IRS. I got to pay PayPal. I got to pay PayHip, and I got to pay the state of Georgia and so on. And I'll get like two or three bucks out of the deal. And that will help me keep this show going. But you don't even have to download the thing if you don't want to. You know, so if you just want to send a little cash my way, go over there, make a purchase, and don't download it. Or or download it and give it to somebody else. Whatever. Anyway, I want to thank the people who have been doing that. Uh, it just a little bit helps keep the... It's like squirting oil. You know, uh, if you... You can imagine like a steam locomotive in there stopped letting the passengers on and off filling up the water tank and loading up coal or whatever. And the, the uh, engineer will get off the train with his oil can in his hand. He's going around oiling this and oiling that. Your purchases are the oil that keeps this show going. So if you want it, if you want it to keep going, uh, you know, put a little oil in there once in a while. Okay. Enough of that. Now, I had somebody uh, send a suggested topic because I've asked for this, and and I want you to, if you have something you'd like to hear me rap on, uh, go to bradleylaird.com, and up at the top, you'll see the word contact. Click that, and there's an email link. Just send me suggestions. I'll I'll talk about anything. Now, I uh, have some I've got some interviews coming because I think, you know, at a certain point you're going to get tired of hearing what I think about things. So I'm going to bring in other people and find out what they think about things. And this will be a benefit to all of us. But anyway, if you have a topic, if you got a suggestion, if you got a comment, uh, something to add to a previous show, just go over there, bradleylair.com, hit the contact button, send me your thoughts. I want to hear from you. That's better than maybe stating that over on the iTunes reviews because, you know, I get the emails, bam, 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 they come in. So send me an email. I'll talk about whatever you want me to talk about. If you've got a question about, you know, how do I find the perfect instrument for me or should I play the band, whatever. Whatever you're thinking, send it to me. I'll give you my two cents worth. And it's, and it's actually free. It doesn't even cost you two cents. The podcast is 100% free for you. It's not free for me to produce, but it doesn't cost that much. Anyway, so here's the topic that was sent to me by a listener. I'm going to paraphrase what the guy said. And it was more or less this. Can you talk about some of the big bluegrass stars that you've rubbed shoulders with over the years? So I'll I'll try to address that. Yes, I have. Um, you know, being, being a, what I would call kind of a regionally known act, definitely a, uh, you know, pretty high up there locally around Atlanta act, but we also were at 
certain periods of time pretty known regionally. We got on stage. We were booked at festivals with a lot of the big name acts that you've heard of. You know, uh, we have gone on stage, you know, followed the country gentleman and then be on right before the Tony Rice unit. That kind of thing. It's pretty fun. It's a lot of fun to hear them, you know, as you're coming off stage, shake your hand and go, hey, that was good, boys. It's a lot of fun, let me tell you. And to be able to hang out backstage with these people, uh, it's been amazing. We've done a lot of opening act stuff, open for Doc Watson, open for Earl Scruggs Review, just you name it. New Grass Revival back in the 80s. Um, we've done that kind of thing. So I have kind of rubbed shoulders with some of those people. And I, I don't in any way claim to be up on that level. Uh, but, you know, they're so busy, they don't have time to sit around and write banjo books. So anyway, let me tell you about, I, I think if we're going to talk about rubbing shoulders with anybody, it, those tales have to begin with Bill Monroe because Bill Monroe, if, if you don't know about Bill Monroe and if you never saw Bill Monroe and if maybe you don't appreciate Bill Monroe, you should, because without Bill Monroe and the things he did in his musical career, we wouldn't be playing bluegrass music today. There is no bluegrass without Bill Monroe. That is a fact. Deal with it. Bill Monroe, he's not a, a perfectly polished specimen. He's got his pros and cons. You might listen to him like I did perhaps the first or second time. I wasn't too sure about this. I was like, I don't know. This is pretty uh, rugged, pretty hand-hewn, you know. Bill's the real deal. and But it is Bill's creative effort, an effort to create a musical career for him in country music that led to this entire thing and all of its branches from the hippie grass to the traditional side to the, I mean, this all this stuff that's happening now that, you know, the average passerby goes, oh, that's bluegrass. You know, like Old Crow Medicine Show. Well, and somebody says, ah, I saw this band, it's a great bluegrass band. Well, they may not be like Bill Monroe, but they are an offshoot of Bill Monroe. You got to start with Bill Monroe. So go back, read Can't You Hear Me Calling. Read, uh, I've got a YouTube video about suggested books or bluegrass. I'll put a link on the show notes page to that. Read Boss Men interviews about Bill Monroe and um, with Bill Monroe and a comparison of him to uh, the blues man muddy waters read that book go find it i i found a copy down at my local library i have a copy that was that was in the uh, the library occasion would gather at books that have never been checked out and they throw them on a table and sell them for a quarter so i walk in the library there's a bill monroe book they're selling for a quarter and it's stamped with a big rubber stamp you open the cover and right there it says discard i'm like how can you discard the master this is crazy so I buy the book, of course, to rescue it from the dumpster. But check your local library. Boss men might be there. You should read it. If, you're, if you in any way claim to be a bluegrass player, you've got to know about Bill Monroe and have harbor some admiration for the man. Because without him, there is no bluegrass. So enough about that. Let me tell you about rubbing shoulders with Bill Monroe. 
first time I saw Bill Monroe, 1977, the 11 Alive Bluegrass Festival, which I briefly mentioned, I think, in a past episode. This is the first big bluegrass festival I went to. Had everybody. Country gentlemen, seldom seen, Lester Flat in the Nashville grass, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, Lewis family, blah, blah, blah. Everybody. Come in there. It's this giant pasture, sloping pasture down to a stage down there, and all these buses lined up. And I see these buses lumbering in on the left-hand side, slowly coming in like dinosaurs moving. And it's, it's these big national acts pulling in, parking over there, Osborne Brothers, people like that. Got a funny story about the Osborne Brothers parking next to the Lewis family bus. And I, I'm going to interview Jim Duck Adkins one of these days pretty pretty soon. And we'll, I'll tell you that. He'll tell you that story. So there I am. I don't know diddly about bluegrass. I had purchased an album called Bean Blossom. And it was a live recording at Bean Blossom, Indiana. Double album set had everybody on it. It was just recordings of live performances of, you know, Lester Flatt and Bill Monroe and just all these people. It was an amazing record when I was first getting into this. I think it was done in 73 or 74. So anyway, I'd heard this and then I bought tickets and I went to this one day festival called the 11 Alive Bluegrass Festival. August 1977, and me and a buddy of mine, Greg Harper, we had a, a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and a cooler with a six-pack of beer in it, and we <laughs> we sat out in the hot sun. There was absolutely no shade, and we listened to this and experienced this until we were just completely cooked and sunburned and had to get out of there. But the the thing I took away from that was First of all, these bluegrass people were very small because they were a long ways away. And I, and I remember seeing the buses, the buses lumbering in. And But the thing that I really took away was it sounded exactly like the Bean Blossom record. It was crazy. It was exactly the same thing. And, of course, I saw Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys there. Well, the second time that I saw Bill Monroe, that was far away. He was just a little bitty Bill Monroe <laughs> in 1977. One December of 1979, I was going to college down in Tifton, Georgia, and I told the story you know, way back in an episode about the guy knocking on my dorm room door with a banjo case and saying, hey, are you Bud Laird? You know, let's pick. That guy, Banjo Graves, and I started the band Pony Express with Goose, and we were about to be out for Christmas break. So I think we got out on December the 5th or 6th, and we were, we were free until after New Year's. And we cooked up the plan that we would go visit my grandfather's farm up in northwest Indiana, about halfway between Indianapolis and Chicago. We're going to ride all the way up there to my grandpa's farm and check it out. Just do something. So we took Banjo's Volkswagen. He had like a 68 Super Beetle, piled all our instruments in, a couple of Banjo's guitar, mandolin, a little bit of clothes and stuff. And we took off heading to Indiana just to kill time and see what we could get into. So we stopped in Nashville the first night 
and I don't remember the name of the motel we stayed in, but at the desk, they said, well, you can get tickets to the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, well, we want to do that. So we rode over out to Opryland, out Briley Parkway, to the new fancy Opryland Hotel and the big fancy new Opry and Opryland and all that stuff. I didn't really like that. I, I wished that it was still back in the Ryman, but it wasn't. What are we going to do? So we go, we even buy tickets. So we got tickets to the, I think it was December the 7th, 1979 to the Grand Ole Opry. Still got the, those ticket stubs around here somewhere. So we go and I'm fully expecting to see Bill Monroe there because every time I ever tuned in, he was always on there. And sure enough, we see everybody, Grandpa Jones, String Bean, uh, um, <laughs> I, I can't remember all the names. I think we might have seen the Osborne brothers, Jim and Jesse. Um, I don't remember. But, you know, the, the whole parade of Nashville stars, uh, Minnie Pearl, those people. And Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, he did a whole segment. He, you know, we sat there like, other than the fact that the place looked like a big old, like, Crystal Palace, it did, didn't seem right. I didn't like the place, but there we were, and there's Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Quite a different experience than seeing him way down on a little microscopic stage way across a field and just mostly hearing it. I mean, we were a little bit closer this time and good lighting and they played great. We hung around till the bitter end. I mean, Grand Ole Opry had gone off the air and then they do an early Sunday morning gospel show and that lasts for about two hours. And I think they broadcast it, you know, early Sunday morning. We hung around till they practically ran us off. So that was my second time of seeing Bill Monroe. But then came the first time of seeing Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys up close, live, in person, real close. And that was in the spring, following that, in the spring of 1980. And there was uh, the the uh, country, uh, like, urban cowboy phase craze had hit the country. And it's like all the places, all the old, all the night spots around Atlanta were converting to country. They were all getting these mechanical bulls, and everybody's trying to be like Mickey Gillies. And they're doing line dancing and all this stuff, which I wasn't in, interested in that kind of thing at all. I was just bluegrass, 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 as always. But there was this place out on the east side of Atlanta, right along about 285 and Covington Highway, called Mama's Country Showcase. Big old building, big stage, huge dance floor, big bars, and you know, all this stuff. And they would have these country music acts come in and perform. Well, I through, you know, through the grapevine found out that Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys are going to be performing at Mama's Country Showcase. Well, we're all the way down in Tifton, Georgia, which is about I don't know three hours south of there. Hop in the car, me and the dudes from the Pony Express. We're going to go see Bill Monroe. So we go up there and we get there early, of course, and we. Pull in the parking lot, and there's Bill's bus sitting over there beside the building. We come in the front real sheepish, and the place is pretty empty. And we go sit down at the, the closest table we can find to the stage. And there's this humongous, like, 80-foot by 80-foot dance floor right in front of the stage. And we sit down, 
and we're waiting. We can't wait. We're going to see Bill Monroe. So in a little while, the house band kicks off. And, and this is, by the way, on a weeknight. This is not Friday or Saturday. This is like a Tuesday or something. Middle of the week, they got a house band that plays in there. They play country covers and stuff. We're looking at the stage, and the stage is a round, a circular-shaped stage so that half the circle is in front of a curtain. And it's probably maybe, I don't know, 25 feet wide, 30 feet wide. Might not have been quite that big, maybe 20. Anyway, it's a circular stage, and when we're sitting there, there's nothing on the stage. It's just a half-round stage and a curtain. Well, in a little bit, we hear music start, and it's a country band. They're playing. You hear drums, electric bass. I mean, they're playing, playing, playing. And this stage begins to rotate very slowly. It rotates, and the curtain is pulled back, and the band, the house band, is already playing. They started playing while they were behind the curtain, and then you hear it, and it builds excitement, and the curtain pulls back, and the spotlights come on, and the, the stage rotates in 180 degrees, and they're already singing and playing, and they're playing country music. And then the curtain drops back, and they do a one about an hour-long set. That's the house band warming up. And so we saw this band performing as they rotated. And I thought to myself, there is no way that Bill Monroe, the man, the god of bluegrass, there's no way he is going to play music on a rotating stage. So I started talking to the guys and I'm like, so what do you think? I'm betting that the stage will rotate and then he walks on. There's no way he's going to be sitting there playing rawhide or something or watermelon on the vine. As the stage rotates, that's too uptown. Bill Monroe is not cut from that cloth. And so we talked about it back and forth, kind of placing bets. So the house band finished their, their opening set, and then there was like 10 minutes of sitting around waiting. And then the some voice says, And now live from live and in person from Nashville, Tennessee, star of the Grand Ole Opry, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And the stage begins to rotate. No music playing. No music playing. And the curtain pulls back. And the whole stage rotates around. And there are the bluegrass boys standing at their microphones. You got your banjo player, your fiddle player. Your... Everybody's all lined up there wearing their blue suits with their ties and their white hats. No Bill Monroe. And then on walks Bill Monroe on a non-rotating stage. It's already stopped. He walks on and bam, they start. Play that watermelon on the vine, then on into all his stuff. So I was proved correct. It was beneath Bill Monroe to ride the revolving stage at Mama's Country Showcase. And there was probably some guy in the back going, Now you know, Bill, it's in your contract that you got to ride the rotating stage. And Bill's probably like, Nope, nope, nope. You know, wouldn't be no part of nothing. Anyway, he didn't do that. He walked on. And they were not playing as they rotated. So they did their first set. And we're sitting there with our jaws open. We're just like, you know, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. And we're watching Bill Monroe. They look so good up there in those suits. So at the end of their set, they walked off and the stage rotated around. And out came the house band already playing. They were playing as it rotated. And they did another set. When they finished that, their second set, 
there was a kind of like 20 minutes of nothing going on. And in front of the dance floor, and by the way, there was nobody there. There was maybe two dozen people there. And it was quite obvious that the only people who knew who Bill Monroe was were sitting at our table. Me and Banjo and Goose and I think a couple other people. Nobody knew who Bill Monroe was. They, and, and if they did, they didn't care. That's, that's the world of, you know, Bill was really part of the country music scene. And I think he would get booked at these things, you know, because he was associated with the Grand Ole Opry and he would get booked at these country package shows and various things. But, you know, he wasn't getting hurt on the radio at that time. So people didn't know who he was, but we did, you know, and we were hanging on every note anyway. So the house band played their second set. When they finished that, there was kind of a lull in the activity, and Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys are going to do one more set. So we're hanging around, hanging around, eating chicken wings and stuff. And in, as I said, in front of the stage was a huge dance floor. Nobody was dancing because there was pretty much nobody there, and nobody dances to Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. So the boot scooting boogie crowd was not there. The line dancers, they weren't there. And if they were, they weren't getting up and doing it for Bill Monroe. So there were probably a few bluegrass fans in the audience, you know, that I didn't know, but there were a few people around. Anyway, there was this huge dance floor. And then at the, on the audience side of that dance floor was a little booth. It was about four foot by four foot by four foot had a little door, a little plywood box, basically with a countertop on it. Like a, had a little swing open door so you could, somebody could open that door and stand inside it. And on the side it said autographs. And so I figure, they tell the big star, oh, as part of your contract, during your break, you need to walk out there. We've got a little autograph booth. You stand in the autograph booth and sign autographs with your fans. And so we were watching this. And thinking, I wonder if Bill's going to come out there. And, you know, I just, I don't know. There's nobody here. Will, will he come out and stand in that autograph booth? So, sure enough, as soon as that house band was finished with their second set, he comes walking out. He's like a tree. He's like 80 feet tall. He's this, he's this Greek god to me. We're just like, I mean, almost shivering that we're in the same room with this guy. The guy that started bluegrass, there he is. And he walks across. Nobody pays him any attention. I think there was somebody with him, maybe somebody that, you know, worked there, opened the little door to the autograph booth, and Bill just stepped in and just stood there. Person closed the door and walked away, and there he stood. And we watched him stand in that autograph booth for, I don't know, 10 minutes not a soul even looked his direction. He just stood there. He was fulfilling his contractual obligation to stand in the autograph booth and sign autographs with your fans. Well, the, there were no fans, and, and nobody came up there. Well, we were fans, but we were too scared to go up there. So we're like, oh, we, we need to go over there because, you know, somebody needs, to, somebody needs to go over there. And we talked about it, and finally... We didn't even have anything to sign. So took a napkin, just grabbed a square napkin, walked over there. Like, you know, I got that deer in the headlights look. 
and uh, I just laid it down in front of him. He's got a pen in his hand. He just signed, Bill Monroe. Handed it back to me. Shook his hand. I might have asked him a question or said, you know, hey, I love your music. I don't know. But I do remember shaking his hand, and it was like, like iron. He had a grip like iron. And, and I've noticed over the years as I've, you know, met different some of these really great musicians, I, I've noticed that the generally the better the musician, the weaker the handshake. I've had people just stick their paw out there. It's like a dead fish. And they're like fantastic players. And so I, but Bill, it was like iron. It was like, it didn't hurt, but it, you could tell it was solid. That guy was made of, you know, well-seasoned hickory. Anyway, got his autograph on that napkin, went back to the table and I got a big greasy spot in the corner of it because I've been eating chicken wings. And I was just, I mean, I was almost literally shaking. And he stood there. Nobody else came up. Nobody else came up. In a few minutes, the person that put him in the box opened the box, and he walked back stage. And in a little bit, here they come out. Stage revolved. No band playing. None of that, none of that hype. The mic stands rode the stage and then the band walked on and they played another set. It was, you know, fabulous. It sounded, sounded great. And it was all over and we drove back to Tifton, Georgia. But anyway, I just wanted to point out that number one, Bill Monroe has too much pride to ride a revolving stage, at least at Mama's Country Showcase in the spring of 1980. And number two, um, we were there. We were exposed to the man and you should expose yourself. Even though he's not around today, his legacy lives on. Go listen to some stuff on YouTube, buy the records, listen to this, soak it up. You're not going to get it on the first few tries. And, uh, so that's all I'll say about Bill Monroe for now. I want to mention, I've got some interviews coming up. I got all kind of crazy stuff coming up. So, Hang in there. Keep listening. I want to thank you for listening. Everybody that's been hopping over to iTunes, whether you listen on iTunes or not, because you can get it on Podbean or Stitcher and so on. But uh, iTunes is still the number one spot for, you know, as a podcast directory. So, you know, if you like this kind of stuff, go over there and click that five star. And, you know, if you want to do a review, write that and hit submit or whatever it says. And I also want to thank the people who have been picking up some of my ebooks and video lessons because that does keep the wheels of this train oiled. Not well oiled. I almost said well oiled. It keeps them oiled. Just it keeps the rust off. And if nothing else, share links with all your friends and pseudo friends and friends you can't even remember on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Uh, you know, tell them about the show. It's it's kind of lonely sitting on this end, so uh, if you've got something on your mind, jump over to bradleylaird.com, hit that contact button, and let me know what you're thinking about, and I am happy to flesh it out on this show. So that's it for this episode. Hope you had a good time, and I'll see you in the next episode, or rather, I will talk to you in the next episode. Take care.